0: Welcome to Pros and Cons, a podcast by writers
1: for writers, brought to you by Precipice Fiction. Precipice Fiction would like to acknowledge the people of the Eora and Dura nations as the original custodians and storytellers of the land this podcast was created on. Welcome to the Pros and Cons podcast, a podcast by emerging writers for emerging writers, because sometimes we feel like pros and many other times we feel like cons. My name is Matan Elul, and I am your host for today. And we've got an excellent group, as always. Uh, I'll let you boys introduce yourself this time. Hi, I'm Paddy Boylan. I am a bid writer, creative writing teacher, and editor.
2: And sometimes I even find the time to write fiction. (laughs) (laughs) On occasion, yeah. Uh, Phoenix.
0: Hey, I'm Phoenix. I'm a freelance editor, founder of Bent Light Writing, and an agented children's book writer. And I also find time to write sometime.
1: <laughs> James,
0: I am James
3: Healy. I'm a freelance editor and writer of horror stories and science fiction. I'm known for cooling engines. And now and again, I have been known to find time to write. It's been a while, but uh, it's, it has been favorable that I, I do some writing.
1: Oh wow! This I can feel it. This is going to be like an AA meeting. I can already <laughs> feel it. This is all. This is feeling very topic appropriate. Yeah, okay. Uh listeners, just you've seen the topic
0: really quick. I just want to get something off my chest. It feels Go weird ahead. to say I'm an agented children's book writer, even <laughs> though it's like it's like kind of a big deal. It's the weirdest thing to say. It's like what is Phoenix, you are.
1: It's true. It's true. Are you apologizing or are you like
0: I'm not apologizing? It just feels weird. I don't know. It's like so what you you have an agent but you haven't sold the book yet it's like yeah that's exactly what it means or it's like so how many books <laughs> how many books are agented do you have an agent like what does that mm, mean yeah this
1: is this is very on topic um listeners if you've read the, the title you know that we're, what we're going to discuss we're going to discuss imposter syndrome but before we get into the fun stuff phoenix what have you been reading
0: so nearly through to I, I had a flight out to London this last weekend and I was reading Frankenstein along the way. So I'm very close to the end of that one. It's getting very, very good. And the other the other thing is I, I just watched. I really like pe- watching and slash listening to people play Dungeons and Dragons. I have a really great time doing that. So I was listening mm-hmm. to Questing Queens by Dimension 20. It's four very famous drag queens. Playing Dungeons and Dragons, it was a very delightful. Wow.
2: There's a lot of Let's Plays at the moment. Like it is getting
1: saturated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> James, what about you?
3: I just finished Children of Men, uh, which I really enjoyed. Interesting, I guess, structurally, because it felt like it changed a couple of times. You know, when you get to the end of a story and you're like, this feels almost unrecognizable in terms of what's going on chapter to chapter. But I really, really enjoyed it. Very bleak quite exciting towards the end I found myself like really riveted to like every paragraph I was like what's going to happen next Uh, so that's always a good sign Uh, It just you feel invested in the characters by the end so I really really enjoyed that I'm looking forward to watching the film again now because they're so different but they strangely managed to pull off a lot of the same feelings throughout each of the stories even though they're completely different plot lines so yeah I totally recommend anyone who enjoyed the film to check out
2: the book nice Patty. Still reading Robert Harris's Imperium, which is about the fall of the Roman Republic. Uh, Although I have been, I've talked about that a few times already in different apps. I've been watching The Wire after so many people have recommended Uh, it. Yeah, James, (laughs) smiling and nodding for those who are watching the the video. Oh, (laughs) damn. The writing in this show is impeccable. It's so good. I don't know what to say about it other than just it's so good and just fawning over it. So just watch it. Go watch it if you haven't already. Consider subtitles though. Um, being a dummy, I found some of the inner city dialects very hard <laughs> to understand, so I had to subtitle it to make sense of a lot of it. It's getting easier, but yeah, close captions. Yeah,
3: it is. It is amazing, but it is. It is like listening to like a different language. Um, Sometimes, everything yeah. that that writer does feels that way. He also wrote um, Generation Kill, which was following soldiers and uh, during the invasion yeah. of Iraq, and because they speak yeah. with so much jargon, military lingo, and there's a bunch of other things. You do just feel like I bought the DVD and the DVD came with a booklet that translated all the terms. Ah,
1: Oh, it was was very authentic,
2: though. Yeah,
3: Yeah, absolutely. Very authentic.
1: Nice. Uh, Just on a five second tangent, I got to say, I feel like nothing is watchable without closed captions nowadays. Like audio editing (laughs) is just it's just awful, you know, especially uh, in the cinema. I feel like with soundtracks, beautiful soundtracks, just blasting at full force and then characters whispering. It's just uh, a notorious one, by the way, is Lord of the Rings. I was just going to say
0: Lord of the Rings. Yeah,
1: It's it's notoriously impossible unless this is your 15th time watching, which is it would be for me. And I know the lines by heart. Uh, It's just impossible to understand what they're saying. Uh, as far as reading, I'm still I'm still going through Hilary Mantel's uh, "The Body and the Light." Um, no co- no further comments. Uh, I the, mi- did the watch... mirror and the light. The mirror and the, the light. Uh, oh, sorry. The bring up the bodies is the second. Good enough. Thank. Yeah. Thanks, buddy.
2: But You get uh... to keep reading it. Though right? like all the rest of us just have to live with it in
1: our past
2: and Aww. just be haunted
1: by it for the rest of our days.
2: Oh no, I wish I could. I wish I could forget that novel and reread it so much, so much.
1: How how long until they have memory-erasing pills for us?
2: Not long enough.
1: Uh, I did watch Bullet Train. Has anyone watched that one?
2: Mm-mm. No. Watched it looks half fun. Of it, I think.
1: Is, is that a good sign, James, that you watched half of it? Or?
3: I guess not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, kind of, I, I, I had time uh... to watch some of it, and then I left, and then I could have come back and watched the rest of it, but I went back to probably <laughs> something else. Probably Chimp Empire, which I've been watching.
2: Auditing
1: <laughs> 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 drama on Chimp Empire. Okay, okay, to our topic. To our topic. Oh no, give uh, your let's...
3: give your how, what did you think of Bullet Train?
1: I mean, it was okay. It was fun. It was it was fun, but it was not like you're not impressed with it too much while you're watching. Like, oh, this is cool, this is nice. Good good stuff. But you're not like, Wow.
3: Yeah, it was fun. I do enjoy films that they kind of everyone's got the same, maybe the same motive, and they just keep introducing characters that are chasing after the same thing. So you start to feel, oh, this is gonna get really complicated. But I never got that sense mm-hmm. from that film. It just, just kept adding things in, but I was kind of like, well, it's obviously it was gonna come down to these two or three characters. Each of the other characters are sort of expandable.
1: All right. Listeners, let's get back to to what we're here to discuss, which I suspect might be a bit uncomfortable for some of us. Today I'd like to talk to you about a topic that Is a little closer to the heart let's be honest there's a good chance that you are writers and being writers uh, a new writer an experienced writer it's not always easy many of us go through long periods in which our novels either collect dust or sit at the top of a slush pile at some literary agents or publishers table some of us are agented just waiting to see what's the next step maybe you've never even sold a story maybe the book you're working on or have been working on for years has become a big unfinished monster that you're just afraid to look at at this point. Maybe you're even asking yourself, and that's something I've been coping with for a while, am I really a writer? And if so, who gets to decide? Is it enough that I see myself as a writer? Is there a hidden criteria? A committee? Is there a number of sales or a number of readers? Maybe others have even praised your writers. Maybe you have a good support group. Maybe they tell you it's great. But maybe there's a voice inside you that says that they say that just because they like you, right? Or maybe maybe they like your writing, your friends, your family, uh, even your fellow writers. But they don't like like it. Like would they pay for it? Maybe some of you have even sold your book or you even think to yourself that even if I do sell my book, at some point The people who read it are going to look up and they're going to realize that my writing is crap. And just because I have a publishing contract doesn't really make me a good writer. Now, if you have been having these thoughts, you're not alone. I'd go as far as to wager that many writers, I might even say most writers, have had these kind of feelings, at least to an extent. So again, welcome to the pros and cons podcast. And today we're going to talk about imposter syndrome and other personal setbacks. With that out of the way, I'd love to hear from you guys. What is the imposter syndrome? Have you personally dealt with it? And I'd love to hear some even personal definitions of this term.
2: I'd love to give a definition,
1: mostly because I <laughs>
2: crash looked at the Wikipedia page 10 minutes before the episode. And it's common enough forever. Like I'm, I'd be surprised if many listeners out there hadn't heard of it. But for those who haven't, it's the overwhelming sense, despite all evidence to the contrary, that your work is no good, you are not really as good as people think you are. And I keep seeing this online. Sooner or later, people will find out, which sounds mm. kind of a tragic place to be And It doesn't matter how. Uh, there's this conditioning called body dysmorphia, where sometimes people think they're really fat or they think they've got like they're really ugly. And it doesn't matter what people tell them, what the reality is. They just can't accept that these ideas they've got about themselves aren't true. And I think imposter syndrome is very akin to that.
0: As you read that definition, my mind went to body dysmorphia. And I'd never made that oh, association hey. before. But literally just now I was like, oh man, it's like, well, like exactly the same.
2: Yeah, it's almost like talent dysmorphia.
0: Yeah, like credibility dysmorphia, almost. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah.
1: Did you guys ever deal with this? Did you ever wake up in the morning and feel like, I know Matan said my writing is great, but. Is it?
0: Yeah, peeps. <laughs> actually, well, actually, like, um, before I was a writer, I was a software developer. And I I felt imposter syndrome almost every single day at my job. I even though there were some like, there are some things that I would be proud of at times. I, I think it came from when I was in university, I just always felt like everyone else was better at it than I was, or everyone else loved it a little bit more than I did or something. And I knew i wasn't outstanding at it i wasn't like some no like some someone to note in the field but i and even though i got the job i did i did the things i did it was still like it wasn't enough i never knew enough i never felt comfortable enough in my skin in that job and it was very stressful very draining
1: it's interesting that you felt it even outside of your writer's career Mm -hmm. does it feel different phoenix uh feelings that you have as a writer than the ones you had as a software engineer or in other fields of your life
0: it does um i do still get imposter syndrome as a writer definitely 100 percent. but it is less and i think that comes down to like i think early encouragement is so important because it it's almost like it's almost like when you're starting over in a trying something new in your life it's almost like we hit the reset button on like childhood trauma or something because it's like this hmm. is the childhood phase of this career or this childhood phase of this thing we're starting and if the praise is like feels genuine and good in that moment then those core memories that we have with that thing are almost more solid cuz like when i was just <laughs> starting i don't know i did have some moments of people giving me good feedback who were not like people that i knew intimately and were people that had no real motives to it was feedback i could kind of believe and it made me feel uh, like, oh, okay, I do feel good at this, as well as I did have some I I was interested in what I was writing. And I think that helped me believe in what I was writing, because I was like, I don't know what any, no matter what people say, if they don't like, yeah, maybe the writing skill wasn't as good. But I genuinely liked it. And I was like, this is interesting to me.
3: Yeah, I think that is a good thing. As long as you have something that you're coming back to. Um, Mm. and then that's kind of like your foundation, like that's a really good, uh, that's a really good solid place to, to look at it from. Yeah. When I first started doing writing classes, um, I would have been about 18, 19, and there was a 10 year gap between me and the next youngest person in the class. So everyone was sort of in their late twenties and their thirties. And I remember looking at the stuff that they were writing and thinking, oh, this, this is so much more substantial than what I'm writing. Uh, their writing is so good. The emotions that they're dealing with are so good. The the stories they're trying to tell, because everyone was actually trying to write a novel at the time. And I remember thinking, you know, the stuff that they were writing, I was like, wow, that's that's going to be a book someday. Mm. In terms of what I'm writing is just this silly little science fiction, something or other, that I just uh, I remember thinking was was nowhere near the same caliber. I think that what I was reading in a lot of them, because I, we, I, we would have spent a few years writing together, I think that their stories were, because I got to know them personally, I think that there was a lot of emotion coming forwards in their stories, possibly unintentionally, because a lot of the stories you could see elements of like who they were. Whereas at that time, I didn't think I was writing the same thing. But years later, I looked back on that and I realized, oh, there was a lot of a personal expression going on there. But kind of like layered are kind of behind all of the science fiction stuff. So they may have looked at my story and said, oh, it's a lot of the same. There's, there's emotion there that he's telling a certain way,
2: Do you know what I mean. Looking back at your own stuff is yeah. such a good confidence booster. Well, I mean, uh, at yeah. least mm-hmm. when I speak to you guys, it seems to be like often we think like, ah, I wasn't that good, and maybe that's why we put down writing for a while. We look back on stuff we did a decade ago, think like, oh wow, that's actually pretty good. Oh, that's much better than I thought it was. Yeah, this advice would backfire if you look back on your stuff and you think like, oh wow, that's worse than I thought it was. But I mean, even that's showing that your taste evolves, right?
3: Mm-hmm. I think that your it's like your craft evolves, but. Like the core of what you were doing may have been very very strong it's just you may not have had the best tools for doing it that's what i find i find Mm. that the writing isn't very good but uh Mm. i was trying to create i'm like oh that's still work creating now Mm. i'm Mm. better and i would have a better understanding of how to do that
1: yeah i uh i agree with patty though that uh, sometimes and james too that sometimes you go back and you discover no, you were not a complete pile of horseshit. You were, you, were, you have improved, but you, the, the talent was there. Elaborating on this question, guys, uh, I want to share one of my personal problems. I've been writing since I was four years old, but for the most part, I've been writing for my mom. My mom would be my main audience. I would write stories, give it to my mom. Uh, but the first novel I ever wrote, I was pretty young. My mom would come to my room every Friday, read a chapter. Tell me how incredible it was, and I think while my mom has been extremely supportive and she probably nourished my desire to be a writer, it did create this other thing in me, this fear of showing it to anyone else, this fear of mm. okay, okay, mom, mom loves me, but what about other people? And just, gently I started to show it to to my brother, to some very, very, very close friends like. Most of my friends, I did not show to. And when I moved to Australia, for those of you who were there or didn't know me back there, and I was 22, I finished my military service, I moved to Australia, and one of the changes I've made in my life is that I've decided to become serious about writing, to the point that every day I would get up and write. The thing is, I never told anyone. I didn't tell the people I work with. I didn't even tell my flatmates. They would just know that I'm in my room. I would tell them it is school stuff. Um, They would see me typing and I would tell them I'm doing homework. Even my wife, uh, when we started dating, I didn't tell her I'm a writer. To this day, I remember the day she walked into my room and asked me about the pile of uh, papers on the shelf. And because every week we'd go to the writing group and I would print out 10 pages. And I just remember looking at her and thinking, okay, time time to say it. And I did. And her reaction was... I think she was more surprised at the fact that I didn't talk about it than the fact that I did it. And you would think that from that moment, I would start telling everyone, but no, um, I didn't tell most people. I remember every Thursday night, I had the writing group and I would need to take a night off because I was a bartender and the writing group was a night. So I would tell the boss, I need Thursday off, but I wouldn't say why. I just said it's something personal. And then one day I just told him. Uh, after years of working for the guy, like, I don't know why, I just thought, you know, um, I actually go to writing groups. And I expected him to laugh or to ask me how many books I've sold, which, hint, hint, zero. And he didn't. And it was a good talk. I remember talking to him for an hour. But I do remember that fear of not sharing. And I wanted to know if, if you, um, obviously we're doing a podcast very publicly, a writer's podcast. <laughs> but how, but how open are you about being a writer and Has it been a journey or have you been like that from the start?
3: I was always very open about it, I think, because when I started writing, I didn't really understand what it was I was just trying to discuss it with people to be like, oh, this is how I've been spending my time. Um, I guess I was looking for other people that were possibly doing the same thing. I think it's probably backfired on me a little bit because I've been doing it for so long. I'd be quite embarrassed now talking to my friends who knew me as in my teens and kind my of early twenties, because I've been saying, I enjoy writing. I'd like to be a writer for so long. And then I'm still kind of still very much in the same place um, as I was back then. Um, I also noticed that if I'm telling someone about a story I'm working on, because I'm really excited about a story um, and I'm telling someone I'm writing about this and I'm saying this and this and this, people are often like, oh, that sounds really interesting. That sounds really clever. And I would always get like a nice little feeling of, well, it does sound clever, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But then I might finish the story and I feel like, oh, I got I got a little bit of credit for basically having said I was writing it or for just coming up with the idea rather than getting any kind of like, oh, this is a this is a well told story that you actually finished. Um, yeah. So I really feel uncomfortable. I'm always trying to not talk about something until I'm a good bit into having mm. it written that I know I'm going to finish it. because <laughs> I don't yeah, like yeah. feeling like I'm getting the instant gratification of just having come up with a story that I haven't finished yet but yeah i, I think I, i've always spoke about it but now i think i'd be more reserved about speaking about it because i've been speaking about it for so long basically but
2: but james just say you write for fun i mean you you do write for fun like that's the reality yeah. you just say like ah, it's yeah. just something i do but, for fun and then you know whatever like aspirations you have to sell a million books like keep keep that to the side till it happens but that's yeah. that's also happens to be true in your case but
1: is he writing for fun though
2: James, you write for so. fun, right? You've told us before that you love this shit.
1: Uh, I mean yeah, like, like I was writing saying that... I mean writing is fun, but I don't think you are writing for fun, if I'm making sense. You're writing way, so people would read
3: it. I think the way that I'd see it is like I was saying to Phoenix about like having a foundation that you come back to. My foundation is that I know um I'll always write. It's just a process that I, I engage mm. in that I'll always engage in. It's how I mm process my thoughts is how I express myself. It's how I am most interested in spending my free time. So it's something that I would just always do, even if there was never any chance of it even if there was never any chance of it being sold or if there was never any chance of other people reading it, I still think it's something that I would do as a as a mm. process and as a practice. Um I think it was just on me to say I'm as well to look into the craft of doing this well so that i'm at least not just writing pages and pages of like stream of consciousness um try to formulate it into a story or something like that and then the next thing on from that was wouldn't it be great if you could you know someday make a living doing this so that you would just have more time to do this yeah Um, so that is that is the the idea that's what i come back to so yes it is fun
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, phoenix patty what about you two patty like do you tell people that you write? like you've yeah. You tell people close to you how yeah, much do you I talk do. about
2: I, it? I, I tell everyone I'm I'm absolutely fine with it. Um, I don't really have, maybe everyone has a little bit of imposter syndrome. Maybe some people don't. I have very little imposter syndrome. I'm, I'm totally fine with telling people. What I don't do is show people my writing until I know it's finished. Ah. I really, really don't want anyone to read my stuff until I know like, yeah, this is good you. because I don't want people to think that I'm Bad at it. Like, if I show them a first draft and it's not developed, I don't want people to be thinking, like, secretly, this guy sucks. <laughs> Look at these sentences. They're terrible. <laughs> my girlfriend's a designer and she has the same thing in the designs. Like, she works in an open plan office and she's really good at what she does. But she hates anyone looking over her shoulder and seeing a design that's not done mm. because, like, hey, you're not seeing the real thing. Yeah, that's my i was gonna say issue it's not even really an issue like who wants to read (laughs) it's a battle getting people to read your half finished stuff like that's why beta readers are hard
1: to find no i I completely understand i think you have a different a different species of of the syndrome you have like a pre-imposter syndrome you don't want to go there
2: yeah i get an opposite thing going but i'll talk about that later Hmm.
0: phoenix uh more and more as i've written i've come to appreciate that it's like It's like, yeah, obviously, we want to have these things a bit more polished before we show things, because I've started to think of it really as like, it's like how like someone who's really good at drawing, when they draw, they have that first little sketch where they're just getting the frame down. Like, that's what a lot of early stuff is like, we're just getting frames down. And then we have Mm -hmm. to go through and actually like, flush it out. But until you do that, it's like, I mean, yeah, you're just looking at frames. Like, it's not really this isn't the
1: story, really.
2: Those early sketches always look so cool, though. Like those like, <laughs> kind of rough sketches it's nice, really good.
1: It is nice. My next question was going to be, did you ever question an achievement of yours or feel like a fraud? But it's pretty close to what I just asked. So I'll, I'll just uh, condense it. You guys have had achievements in writing, in life in general. Patty, you just, you got a massive job based on your writing skills. Phoenix, James. Uh, did you ever look at it and think like, that must be a mistake? clearly they must have they must have chosen me because they had one slot and no one else to give it to right I felt this
0: um specifically with when I started editing when people started paying me to look at their work um every now and then I'd have this feeling of like who am I to well actually like a little bit of that a little bit of like who am I to edit their work and tell them what they need to do because I haven't even sold a book yet and that's the main like gauge for me like I haven't done this. But at the same time, and then there was another level to it where sometimes I would think like, no, I'm actually very good at this. But if anyone asked me what my achievements were, I never felt like I would have enough achievement to give them that would make them that would show them that confidence. Um, and I feel like I would turn people away predominantly because like I do have an agent. And in a way that's almost, I was just thinking like, in a way that's almost like selling a book because I have someone who's literally spending their time when they could be doing other things, dedicating it to my manuscript and stuff, which is cool. But I had imposter syndrome even with that because it's like, oh, it's only for one of my manuscripts. It's not like I have an agent for my whole body of work. It's like, no, they represent one manuscript that hasn't sold. So it's like that feeling of, it sounds glorious, but I feel like I'm good at making it. I, I have the fear that I'm good at making it sound like a bigger deal than it is. In reality, it is a big deal, but it it's is. It's an like, enormous deal.
2: <laughs> it is. It's, it's a freaking it's, huge deal. It's, it's amazing that you have an agent.
1: But, but oh that's, that, that's But true. that's the thing. Phoenix, does, Phoenix doesn't even mention. Check out how humble he is. He doesn't even mention in his introduction that his story has been nominated for the orealis Award, which is a very, very mm-hmm. big deal. He was top six out of a pool of hundreds.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You won't even hear him talk about it. Even now he's scared in the subject. <laughs> Phoenix, how did you feel when Ali sent us that message in the group chat? Were you like, must be a mistake or or what? Well, how did you no. feel?
0: Okay, so um my first feeling is also this is getting way more therapeutic than I thought it would. I'm like, whoa, this <laughs> is <touching laughs> some stop. uh uh, no but my thought was like what is this award why am i nominated for it because it's like it must not be that big of a deal like how big of a deal is this award really and then i was reading into it i'm like oh it is actually kind of a big deal award but even still i'm like but how big is ariel like how big are they like because i i don't really know and up until i don't know for a while i still
1: kind of doubted
2: We'll also point out here that Matan is also nominated for an Aurealis Award. So we're talking about humble pie, like Matan, come on, man. Yeah, yeah, but that, <laughs> but
1: this was the phoenix segment of the of the thing. So yeah. Uh, all right. If no one's got something to add, I'll go to the next question.
3: I would just add on um, just before we jump. Um, not so much with writing, but definitely with um, whenever I've done like competitions and stuff. James, what kind of competitions are you in? I do kickboxing and Muay Thai. So I would do uh, fights or tournaments, and as soon as I won a fight, I just tell myself, "Oh, that was because that was because they made a mistake, or that was because they mm. um, they're younger than me, so they're less experienced, or they're a little bit older than me, so it's harder <laughs> for them to train." Or oh, I just train more for that fight. Like as soon as I've won, I'm like immediately taking away Wild. from what it was. Really? Um, wow. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um,
1: you, ne- you never went like yeah. Uh, you're pathetic, you're weak, I, I pity you, Like you never look down on them, like, how dare you challenge me, you you fool, no?
3: That's right. <laughs> no, you because if I, if I did that, then I'd be like, well, I shouldn't have fought that guy in the first place then. It was, it was set up, I would tell myself that it was set up then, but I would win. They would mm. lose. And then before the fight, I have the opposite, where I'm thinking, I only got in here because they were short on <laughs> numbers, or the coach only threw me in here because he needs someone to fight the other guy. And I always have a little wobble, like two or three weeks before the fight where I'm like, I literally can't do this. Why did I sign on for this? Who do I think I am? And I think that that's all part of the process of like training and like trying to get better at it because that little wobble, that lack of confidence makes me really dig down and try really, really hard for a couple of weeks before the fight to change, change up my tactics, to change up my training and what I'm doing. And then never to coast on the success of the fight to make me think, I've got this, Like I'm, I'm actually good at this. The fact mm. that I always think, oh, I, ju- I got lucky. <laughs> I skated by. I need to really, really train for the next one. Um, and I think having that same thought process carry over into writing is something that's probably good, probably makes me more critical of my own work and probably something that maybe I don't enjoy any uh, positive feedback, but it makes me take the critical feedback really seriously and always come back again and again and try to work harder at what I do. So I don't know if that's a entirely healthy attitude to have, uh, but it's definitely an attitude that I think I'd probably rather have that than not have that than coast. Um, hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. No, but that, but that's that is that does sound like textbook imposter syndrome.
0: Yeah. Not even feeling, not letting yourself feel your wins, even like fully feel them, starting to discredit them immediately after they happen. I mean that that's what I was just do like what we just mentioned with the award. I did the same thing, and it's wild. Yeah. And then hearing you say it, it's like, oh my gosh, I know that feeling. And it's just (laughs) like to hear someone else say it, it's just such a wild thing that we do, like immediately
1: discrediting a win. Did you guys ever read something so good that it made you put down the book and think, what the hell am I doing? I'm never going to write like this. No, exactly the... Well, not exactly the opposite, but you're
2: reading The Mirror in the Light. Hilary Mantel's whole trilogy, I would regularly put the book down, stare in a space and think, I really want to write right now. It's never had the mm-hmm. effect of making me think I'll never write like this. It's always made me think, I want to write like she does. And again, I guess that's because I don't have imposter syndrome. But no, and the idea that you would, you would put it down and think like, I will never write like this. That to me is like, it's so... I mean, Matan, have you felt like that? Because that's terrible. I, now I think you I, have.
1: I, so I'll tell you what. When I when I'm reading like published books, it used to happen in the beginning. Like I would read not even Tolkien. I would just read like a decent fantasy book and think like, can I do this? And that kind of went away as as I got better. But something that did persist is that I would read something written by peers, like by friends who are writers, like you guys, or or even in the writing group back in Sydney. I'd, I vividly remember that feeling in the writer's group in Sydney. I would sit and someone would read something. Do you guys know Helen Line? You guys all know Helen. Yeah, right? of course. How? Yeah, Helen.
0: Yeah. I've got her book.
1: Yeah, me too. So Helen, for example. Hi, Helen, if you ever listen to this. Helen would read something and it would be so polished and so good. And like in very anime fashion, I would go into a monologue in my head like, like I, could, I could never, what, what? The gap between us is is, is what, what am I doing here? And I, I can't even always... see
0: her reading. <laughs> <laughs> She's moving too fast. The, the,
1: the punctuation is, 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 in, is beyond me. Um, specifically, I would feel that about vocabulary. Uh, you guys all know by now, English is my second language. And every word I would pick would feel bad to me. And every word someone else's picks feels perfect to me. Not everyone, but the good writers. And that's that's something I would feel Like, why can't I come up with like it would be the silliest thing. Like, someone would write, "She was sitting on the veranda," and I'm like, "I would have written balcony." I suck, you know <laughs> that that kind of stuff.
0: I actually feel that with Patty sometimes because I I admire your vocabulary, <laughs> Patty. He's so, so good. Yeah, so like you'll say words sometimes. And I'm like, that was a good word. That was a good really? word he said. Yeah,
2: I don't consider myself as having a good vocabulary. I know Alex's vocabulary. Have you... that, that kid's
1: vocabulary is off the oh, chain. Oh, no. This is, yeah. this, is, this is escalating. Well, maybe now we need to call Alex. Will, vocabulary. My vocabulary? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like James's vocabulary.
2: No, Alex would say like, yeah, I know. He's comfortable with his ability. I think. I don't know. Actually, maybe he's not.
1: Well, Alex is terrific. Mm-hmm. All right. How do you guys help each other, us, friends, when you recognize that a friend is having a bit of a moment with their writing. What, what do you say? What do you do?
2: depends on what their writing is like. Because it doesn't... I mean, you never want to put someone's writing down. But being very honest, if there's someone whose writing you just don't think is actually that good, then you don't want to be giving them, like, putting on praise that is undeserving. Because that's not kind. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you don't want to say it's terrible. But give them appropriate praise. Like, uh, you know, like... I see. There's potential here. You know, keep at it. You know, you'll you'll get to where you want to be. But if yeah. someone's writing is genuinely good, then like, what are you talking about? Like, stop it. You're great. <laughs> like, you look them in the eye and say, genuinely, like, this is really good. And you give them a little bit of negative criticism, constructive criticism as well, so they know that you're not just putting it on. Mm-hmm. You you mix that in, and
1: yeah. I think that part is important because I think we we tend to block out something that is just like. Fluff, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you're the best, Mm -hmm. you can do it. I've read your stuff. You're gonna be a bestseller, you're gonna get the contract. I think that at some point we kind of lose the ah yeah, okay. He's he's in my corner, but Mm -hmm. he's maybe too much in my corner. That can feel worse sometimes Mm -hmm. than the opposite.
0: Yeah. I found that I've never had to like talk to I feel like this is the first time I'm actually properly talking to friends about writing imposter syndrome and stuff right now. But um what I do know is that if I come across like a client whose writing is very, very rough. Um, you know, th- there have been times where it's like, Alright, I gotta get serious. Because honestly, the thing that's not gonna that's gonna help this writing is not gonna be to say, like, Alright, you're ready for line editing now because I did a dev edit. I'm like, No, I did a dev edit. But while doing the dev edit, like, there are some very, very fundamental things that are even beyond a developmental edit, like this needs some things. Yes. So like I. I have had client a client like that and it became, it became really cool and it kind of bridged into an area that I guess I'd consider more like manuscript coaching or something where I did make some special packages for this person to kind of like, I, I did a dev edit, and I gave some very high level stuff and then they came back and wanted more and I was like, all right, well, to be very honest, like what this is what I would recommend you do, like send the manuscript back to me. I'm going to read it. I'm going to give you some very high level stuff. And we're going to like make a plan for what this needs to do. But we have to have a roadmap for this, because there's quite a lot here. And it's just like, I guess what I'm getting at is, it's like not advice for imposter syndrome. But I guess it's avoiding the creation of imposter syndrome, because it's not like, I'm like, hey, you're a bad writer, you shouldn't do this. It's like, hey, this needs work. Like you have an idea here, I'm going to help you get that idea across, like, This is kind of what we need to do. I see what you're doing, but in order for a reader to understand this, we just need to change it. And we need to help, like, that's what the tools are for, to help get ideas through and communicate them. So it's not like you're a bad writer, you shouldn't write. And then it builds that seed of like, you know, imposter syndrome, whatever. I'm a bad writer, I shouldn't Mm -hmm. write. Instead, it's like, yeah, they didn't have the tools available. And that's what an editor is for. That's what, whatever,
1: that's what the job is. Yeah. Phoenix, I I just want to echo what you said because I really like it. Uh basically, you're not dealing in absolutes, like I said. You're not telling them you're good, you're bad. You're just getting into the mud with them. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, let's have a look together. What in your case you were very familiar with the material, but even if you aren't, like, why do you think you're bad, right? Let's read it. Mm -hmm. Let's read it and see. And then Going back to what Patty said, you combine, you give honest criticism, uh, feedback sandwich. We, we discussed this many times. Yeah. Like, here's yeah. the good, here's the bad, here's the foundations I think you should keep and try to pull them out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's practical, very practical.
3: Yeah, when it comes down to feedback, um, I always look at it like you're building something. Um, if you're building a building, like you don't know what the building's going to look like when it's finished, when it's furnished, or what it's going to be used for. But well, we always know like, how to structure something and how to build something together. So I'm always coming in and telling someone how to do that. Or you can do it this way and it's going to end up this way. You can know, always going to end up that way. And it's kind of of them to figure out what the end form of that is going to be, as long as you can just keep giving them structural stuff and giving them advice along those terms. Um, I find it's almost more difficult if you're talking to someone who is extremely confident in what they're doing. Whereas you're yeah. feeling like, oh, you know, there's certain issues here and there's certain issues there, and they're kind of not hearing it. They're like, No, I think that's I think that's good. And I think that's good. It's kind of like okay. I meant now this it's coming into a complicated yeah. area. <laughs> I don't know how to proceed. I don't know how to give this person advice if they don't want to hear it. Yeah.
0: In that moment, it's kind of a a very quick relief for me because it's like if i see that they're like oh well this is great anyway i'm like oh, okay well then we're, we're done here like 400 there, there you go yeah. the invoice is in the mail i've actually never I in terms like i've experienced that with like people i know i've never really experienced that with a client i found that clients are usually very like i like sometimes i give like sheets of like there's a lot here like stuff like that and they're all very like thank you so much like this was great like blah. blah, blah. i'm like wow amazing like just, yeah. they're all taking it great
2: they they it's, paid for it like if mm, they if they yeah. didn't think you were an authority they wouldn't um well yeah once there's money on the table of course i gotta be more invested yeah,
3: yeah. i've That's only true. ever come across it with friends or people in writing groups as well um, and yeah. in writing groups it's quite funny because i remember the facilitator was coming back to the person and giving this advice and the person was just like no nah, i think it's it is it's pretty good. And a oh, whole God. class is just like okay. I'd love it. to know who this person <laughs> is. Nobody actually, that's it. great. <laughs> Discuss oh, their well. writing afterwards.
2: I want to know who this is after the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll no, we'll one, no one in
3: there, no one in any group that we've been in.
1: okay. Hey, for <laughs> pros and con premium for extra gossip after the <laughs> uh guys, last question, last question, because we're we're running uh we're running this long now let's let's step away from the imposter syndrome for a second not all setbacks have been imposter syndrome related some setbacks have been internal some of them have been external and when i mean setback is what what got in the way of your writing what caused a break what decreased the volume of your writing or what just made you feel like the writing is just not coming out the way it used to what kind of moments did you have
2: okay Well, I'm going through one right now. I haven't written a word. No, it's true. I've written some. I haven't written anything substantial creatively for about maybe going on 12 months now. And I'm actually okay with that. And I've got, so I'm supposed to be doing, I say supposed to be doing, I successfully applied for a mentorship not long ago. I, you know, gave them a sample of my writing and it was for, it was kind of a competition, kind of not the board said, hey, we really like it. Here's the mentorship. Here's the mentor. And I've had to explain to my mentor and she's cool with this. I actually need to take a step back from writing at the moment. My reason is I've moved to another country. Before I moved, I was basically unemployed and I just really had to get my shit together. I really, really had to focus on making money and getting a career and getting a stable life here in New Zealand where I live. And actually, You know, I've had a lot of people say like, oh, maybe you should find time to write here or there. Maybe you should. Phoenix, I know you write first thing in the morning,
0: right? I try to. Less recently.
2: I mean, that's that's still a good practice. But those people suggest stuff like that. And I've come to the conclusion that, no, that doesn't work for me. I'm giving myself permission to step back, focus on other things, and not have writing as this thing that I'm finding little scraps of time to do here and there. I want to wait until I've got some solid time and I'm established and say, like, now I'm writing. And that way I know I can do it without finding five minutes between tasks, eking out time to write.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. And I'm very comfortable with that. And I've got a plan for when I'm going to start again, actually. So, yeah, right I think it's, it's, yeah, well, thank you. I think it's okay sometimes to step back. And just because you're not writing at the moment doesn't mean that you won't again in the future. And I I know I will. I just love the
0: conviction of it because it's like, I don't like doubt you for a second of anything. It's like, yeah, this is what you want to do. This is what you feel good about. This is what works for you. And it just comes to me, it comes across as like just this unshakable whatever. And like, this is your relationship with writing. And I'm just like, badass, like go on, keep on. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's very Um, encouraging. Um, Yeah. At the moment, I haven't written in four months following a move as well.
3: And it's just that my daily routine is quite full that I can't find the time. And then when I do get time in the evening, I'm so tired that I'm pretty much just like ready to go to bed. So it is encouraging that your attitude is like, "Yeah, I will get back to it. So that's quite motivating to hear that.
2: You were in that space where you wrote a lot. So there's no reason why you won't be in that space again. Like, it's not like the yeah. magic is gone. It's just yeah. the, the setup's got to be right. Yeah, that's it. I
0: feel like I'm kind of avoiding writing a little bit right now well one this week and the next week are kind of busy so i'm giving myself a little bit like whatever maybe it won't happen but like um the last thing i wrote like i'm working through some parts of my book that are kind of feeling a little bit stale and because they're feeling a little bit stale i'm kind of feeling unmotivated to go back to them because it's like oh, uh, like it's not coming out quite right and so i'm hmm. it's not as not as motivating to get back but it, Kind of a tangent, but it's like kind of when I hit on a part that feels stale, it's also kind of exciting in a way because it's like, well, we'll see what happens because maybe this is myself telling myself that a change in the book is coming. There's, yeah, there's a new path that's like I'll be exploring some new stuff.
1: I uh, I love that you find it exciting. I just love it. Mm. I think that's such a good attitude yeah. to have about about this. Mm. Yeah. Well, Matan, what
2: about you? I mean, it seems like you're always writing, and it's impressive. No, mm-hmm. no. Listeners, no. We, we, we keep a message group where the Press Fiction guys and gal all communicate regularly and we post like how much we're writing and Phoenix you and Matan
1: right now are keeping that torch burning. Like you guys write <laughs> so much, so consistently. It's great. I, I tell you what, so I, I just want to link this into something. Uh when I came to Australia, I lived like a hermit. I used to wake up every day, go to Oliver Brown, for those of you who are from Australia. Uh, drink two cups of coffee, you know. pump out 2,000 words, go to work as a bartender, finish around midnight, go to sleep. That was my life. Okay. At some point, I got a girlfriend. All right. I went to Oliver Brown half the days. The other half, I tried to do something with her. And then I got qualified as an English teacher. And suddenly, my work moved to the morning, which has always been my sweet spot for writing. But don't early morning, Look like an early bird. I'm a nine o'clock writer, if, if there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and ever since, I've been a nine o'clock English teacher, not a nine o'clock writer. And I, I have tried to write at nights and I found it hard. The more I find success in my professional life, like now I'm doing a lot of editing on the side. I'm, I'm teaching more. I'm going to university. I feel like what suffers is writing time. And I'm conflicted because it is nice to see more money coming in, and it is nice to feel achievement in other fields of life, like uh, whether it is uh, your relationships, your your professional career. It is nice, but I always felt like it's a tug of war between writing time and other things. And maybe at some point in the near or far future, there are going to be kids. And then you ask yourself, okay, now even the nighttime, is that writing time? Maybe no. And that made me feel a certain way. And then I remember I read a book uh, called Letters from Tolkien, where Tolkien mm. explains why uh, The Hobbit came out only when his kids were a little older. And it's not that Tolkien started writing at 37, it's that he finally found that sweet spot in life where he has established his career. His kids were old enough that he could just tell them to go listen to the radio or whatever and have some time for himself. And I just, I yearn for that time to come. I still try to write. Uh, like Patty mentioned, we have a chat group where we, where we say things about how much you wrote. I remember saying around June that I want to finish my manuscript by July. And for a time, that felt very possible. I remember pumping out a thousand words a day. And then stuff happened. Like We went to Supernova, uh, which is an amazing place with our book. And we had to do all this work about posters and videos. And suddenly that took my time. And then it was exam season uh, in the university. Okay. And then my editing uh, job started to explode. And it's it's September tomorrow and the book's not done. And I think the important part is not to be mad, not to be too disappointed. It's okay to hold yourself accountable, but that sweet spot will come. Just got to be ready for it.
0: Mm. Be proud of your flexibility because it's like, the the great thing about goals and objectives i find is like i feel it's also knowing when to change them and when to shift them because it does happen and they are just goals and they're things to focus on things to drive you forward but like if you're inflexible about when it needs to shift like i don't know you could end up missing out on some really great stuff or whatever so it's like the maturity of knowing like i'm going to move it and that's okay and yeah that's what it is
1: well said nice so thank you guys so much for doing this podcast and for sharing. I really enjoyed this conversation. Like Phoenix said, it, it did end up being uh, more therapeutic than I expected it to be, but I did hope it will be. Mm. Really glad to hear it. Before we finish, as always, we like to share quotes that we liked with you listeners. Phoenix, I believe you have something for us today. I do. I am not a writer. I've been
0: fooling myself and other people. And that's by John Steinbeck. I studied him (laughs) in my English class. He's got books everywhere.
1: (laughs) Yeah, are we sending the right
0: message here? (laughs) Everyone feels it. Yeah,
2: if Steinbeck can feel crushing doubt about what he does, then you know it's guys. It's okay.
1: It's okay. Google Mm -hmm. him. Google him. You'll feel better. Trust me. Steinbeck. All right. What is that? Steinbeck.
2: Steinbeck. You know, Steinbeck.
1: Oh, Stein. (laughs) I'm just talking shit. So, dear listeners, if you have enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review wherever you consume your podcast, whether it is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever. And also, I'd like to remind you that the new Mythic, an anthology of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror is available on Amazon. It is really good. And contains two Aurealis so, Award-nominated thank you for listening. writers. Thank you for listening, guys. And remember, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to feel insecure. Just don't let it stop you. Amen. You're listening to Pros and Cons, the Precipice Fiction Podcast.